James Bond, Kylo Ren, and Magic Mike try to rob Charlotte Motor Speedway in this week's movie, Ocean 7-Eleven. Jimmy, I'm just gonna say it. I gotta let you go. You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. The one-armed bartender. <laughs> you need to show a little respect. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Welcome to Zoom Lens. My name is Eric Estep, joined as always by my co-host Josh Mull. We've got a good one for y'all. NASCAR fans, y'all are about to be excited. We're talking all things Logan Lucky. You know, we build this show as racing movies through the eyes of race fans, but Josh, you and I, especially myself, much bigger NASCAR fan than I am any other major motorsport series. We talked about At Any Price, which was very focused on kind of the ARCA Midwest racing scene. Then last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Trading Paint, which was focused on the Southern dirt track, dirt late model circuit. This week, we're going to the big leagues, the NASCAR Cup Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Thanks for being here, Josh. Uh, Episode three, how excited are you? I'm actually pretty excited, you know, because when we talked about making this show, uh, we had uh, sort of this the same thought process. And you'll get this uh, from a lot of NASCAR fans. Um, In fact, uh, a friend of the show, The Iceberg, made a video about this, uh, about NASCAR movies and how when you ask a NASCAR fan, uh, what are the good movies? What are the major, you know, the cultural kind of content for NASCAR, they're going to name Days of Thunder, Talladega Nights, and Cars, right? Those are yeah. sort of the big three canon of NASCAR movies. <laughs> so we really approach this from what are all these other NASCAR movies? Why aren't there? And we came at it from the idea of we're either going to find really horrible junk that was forgotten for a reason, or we're going to find these hidden gems that, uh, you know, everybody forgot about this really great uh, racing movie. And this one, uh, it's got a lot of NASCAR in it. Uh, it, It's got, you know, uh, real drivers doing cameos and all of that. And this really begged the question for me that I have for you of, why isn't this movie bigger in the NASCAR fan lore? Where, how did we get off the timeline where the iceberg, his video essay, also mentioned the big four movies? You know, Cars, <laughs> uh, Talladega Nights, Logan, Lucky, and Days of Thunder. Right? Why isn't this movie bigger uh, at, for NASCAR fans uh, as a as a cultural object? I think that is, yeah, we're definitely going to answer that question uh, throughout this episode for sure. I like the idea of viewing NASCAR as kind of like the NASCAR extended universe, the the NCU, if you will. This is, and if, if we were going to call like Cars and Days of Thunder the Avengers movies, this is like the Disney Plus series that you kind of have to watch <laughs> if you want the full picture, but it's like, it feels like extra homework a little bit. Uh, but no, it, this is an interesting movie because the first couple we've watched um, were both very low budget, very indie productions. Now this movie 
movie, I believe, was independently distributed by uh, director uh, Steven Soderbergh, I believe. But this is a larger budget movie. This had millions of dollars behind it. It had, I think, roughly $20 million of marketing behind it. A lot of that came from NASCAR. I know when this movie came out in 2017, uh, the only time I ever heard about it, the only way I knew about it was because NASCAR was promoting it. They were posting things on their YouTube channel, on social media. I think they even had commercials going on during races because you know, a large portion of this movie was actually filmed on location during an actual Coca-Cola 600. So you see real NASCAR cars. You see the actual Charlotte Motor Speedway with real NASCAR fans and photographers and members of the media and officials. You know, real racing action on track. They use a lot of that um, in this movie. So this had NASCAR plastered all over it. That was why when I saw this movie for the first time a few years ago, I think I went into it with the com with a completely wrong perspective. And I didn't really enjoy it the first time I watched it. When I watched it this week for the second time, it finally clicked and I enjoyed it much, much more. So before we get into that, I want to preface this. We will be spoiling this movie a, a decent amount, but we're going to try and save that for probably the first, after about 10 or 15 minutes. We'll warn you before we get into any major, major spoilers, because I think we want to start off by talking about how racing is represented in this movie and how NASCAR actually weaves its way into the script, if at all. I want to start with you, Josh, because I know that was a big point you made. It's really fun as a NASCAR fan. Uh, you know, you, you brought up earlier that we, you know, uh, at any price, which had a little bit of name dropping of NASCAR um, and trading paint, which is didn't mention NASCAR at all, but had the, a kind of vibe of the dirt track kind of thing. This movie is as a NASCAR fan fun just to pick out the cameos uh, of the yeah. drivers. I think that's that's really engaging. Um, you know, when this movie came out, I wasn't a full-on NASCAR fan. I was into NASCAR at the time, but was way more of an F1 fan. But even then, watching it, I knew, oh, hey, there's Brad Keselowski. Hey, that that's Kyle Larson. Like, I, I was able to. That's a fun little thing as a that I would equate, and this will be the, the the time I mentioned comic book movies positively uh, in this review, but uh, as a comic book fan, I, I get the same thing from uh, watching Marvel movies in that there's lots of little things in the background or characters, you know, like, hey, that's that guy. Hey, I know that, like, that's from this issue of Thor and blah, blah, blah. Like, I get the same thing for, as a NASCAR fan in this of just, fun to watch just to pick that stuff out absolutely yeah several drivers have great cameos you've got joey logano and brad keselowski have a a short scene as as security guards uh then you have uh, ryan blaney delivering a cake to the office kyle larson's a limo driver uh, but the best cameo in my opinion, is the Kyle Bush, Carl Edwards as traffic cops. Uh, Kyle Bush's, did you see that? Uh, I hope I didn't peek the mic. I, like that's just, I love seeing Kyle Bush overact. You got Carl Edwards, who he's from Missouri, right? Kind of Midwestern, doing a, his best to imitate a, a West Virginia, very Southern accent, and it's just. It's beautifully over the top. Like all the other driver cameos felt like they were just, you know, hey, I'm Ryan Blaney playing a, a delivery guy. But Carl Edwards and Kyle Bush got into their characters and I want to give them props for that. There was even, you know, I, I found some uh, promotional material of the drivers talking about their scenes in the movie. Uh, and I felt like both in the movie and outside of the movie, the drivers had a really good sense of humor 
about what they were doing. It wasn't like, you know, when they get some football player to host Saturday Night Live and it's super cringy and awkward. I felt like they they put something into it, uh, you know, like and, and it wasn't I, I think that the secret there is most of the time when you see NASCAR people like cars is a great example where you oh, that's so so that's his voice and all of that. Uh, they're playing themselves, right? And so this one where they, they, they're they all cameos, but they are all playing other characters. They That's don't true. appear as NASCAR drivers. And so they, they had fun with it and it felt fun. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, Ryan Blaney, I think, got the worst of it uh, in terms of like he there's nothing really about him uh even kyle larson i think it's funny that kyle larson would be your limo driver like what a ride <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> but like uh I, I felt it felt really fun uh that their performances especially oh yes uh kyle bush and, and uh, brad keselowski uh i thought as the security guard like had the took the the right vibe he had as, the look i want to say yeah, that. like i would have cast him like mall cop walk yeah i would have cast him even if he wasn't you know famous race car driver in my racing movie like he just had the look <laughs> exactly yeah overall the the authenticity of this movie before we really get into the plot and start talking spoilers the the authentic racing scenes uh, we're just that. I mean, again, they shot a lot of the B-roll, a lot of the clips were taken from real NASCAR races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know they also shot some at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I read that they actually painted the walls yellow. Uh, at least this is what I read. They painted the walls yellow, at least in some spots, to film uh, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. But the whole heist, because this is a heist movie, takes place at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So overall, I thought the authenticity was legit. There's no way they could have recreated the entire nascar weekend circus you know just with extras or with you know set design like no they went and with collaboration with nascar were able to film on a during a hot race a hot track in a hot garage and i think that really made it look good nascar looked cool we talked about this in the previous episodes but racing in general just naturally looks cool on camera always looks good put it in your movie if you are a filmmaker shoot the rodeo at a nascar race it all always looks good no matter what you do with it we got these like uh stylized uh this is a steven soderbergh movie um he is a stylistic director uh and and so there's lots of really cool shots of of things that even as a race fan you don't normally see you know like i think of the the shots of all the uh the gas lines and things like that that uh yeah it always looks good and it looks really good in this movie in particular but yeah if you're if if you make movies put put some racing it it very uniquely looks awesome no matter how how you do the camera it made nascar cup series racing look big i mean they picked the coke 600 memorial day it's a crown jewel race huge crowd tons of spectacle and you know god bless america they've got the military helicopters dropping in they really played up the spectacle of of what nascar is somewhat to effect i think something to echo the theme of you know this race being that this movie taking place uh in the southern united states that feels like very much a theme throughout but it really made NASCAR look good. They did it justice. And you have to believe that's because NASCAR was involved in the production. I mean, they had to get NASCAR's blessing. NASCAR's not going to let them make this sport look like a clown show, at least you'd hope. So, uh, but, but it did look great. But going back to your original question, why isn't this movie you know, higher up the list when NASCAR fans talk about their favorite NASCAR movies? And that's because it's not a NASCAR movie. This movie could have taken place at any other 
major venue or sporting event. This could have taken place at an SEC football game. This could have taken yeah. place at the Super Bowl. This could have taken place at, I don't know, the local bowling alley. This could have taken place pretty much anywhere. Maybe you have to limit it to like the South because I think the way the other characters are portrayed, it, it feels very Southern. And we'll talk about that a little later on. But it did not have to be a NASCAR race. So uh, give me your thoughts on that, Josh, because that's the way I viewed this movie once it was complete. Sort of one of the the sub-purposes of the podcast, as it were, is sort of figuring out what is a racing movie and what is a movie that has racing in it. Exactly. And this one absolutely is, it's not a racing movie. The plot doesn't turn on racing or anything to do with the race. Uh, in fact, the plot, the reason they have the Coke 600 is because originally they're trying to rob the the lowest attendance weekend of the year so that there's no security, there's no, you know, all of that stuff. I think it's some like local uh, graduation weekend or something like that that they're going to try and, and rob. But for plot reasons, the schedule gets moved up to the biggest weekend uh, of the year, uh, which benefits the drama, obviously. And, and yeah, the story, stakes. but it had nothing to do with, again, if it was a, a football stadium it could have been a football game if it was a convention center it could have been new york toy fair you know it didn't really (laughs) matter what the 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 it was about the venue more than it was uh yeah you know the location more than it was the event itself exactly so it it really was not a racing movie and and you know, you can argue this. This isn't a. This show's not about cars. But I was talking about this with someone. But like the movie Cars, the first one, not really a NASCAR movie either. Other than it's about a NASCAR driver or a NASCAR car, I guess that in itself makes it racing. But the whole movie is not about him learning how to be a better race car driver. It's about him learning not to be selfish, how to grow as a person, or a animated car. You know, and so it, that movie itself isn't super heavy on the NASCAR either. You're not going to find that many movies that are focused on you know oh, the plot of this movie is how do we land the big sponsor, how do we win the big race uh, at our home track, how do we build our team from the ground up and become a, a, a powerhouse in the cup. Like, there's not going to be that many movies that focus so heavily on the NASCAR, on the racing, that it drives the entire plot. But like you said, Josh, this movie, it could have been anywhere else. NASCAR is quite literally the just a cardboard cutout background that you'd see in like a high school production. Like, oh, in this high school production of Wizard of Oz, the land of Oz will be represented by this cardboard cutout of the big green castle. This NASCAR in this movie is the cardboard cutout of a big green castle. It doesn't drive the plot. It is just there to set the stage, a stage that could have been set by any other major venue or major event. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking about this as we make our way through these movies and we, we've got a gigantic list of movies that um, we'll cover in the future of I'm really looking for I think the platonic ideal of a racing movie would be something where you know the protagonist actually has to be good at racing like they they win the race or they defeat the uh, the villain or whatever by memorizing the breaking zones or you know it's like Mm -hmm. at the end uh you know obi-wan and star wars comes in and he's like use the force loop when do we get a movie with a driver who's like 
remember something uh, as he's coming into the fight. Oh, slow in, fast out, hit the apex, whatever it is, right? Like, and obviously that's really dumb. Everybody, every race fan would be, you know, slapping their foreheads of like, yeah, every race car driver knows this. It's not profound, but it is at least turning on the racing. Uh, and, and I feel like all of these movies use racing as either that set piece or the a prop or things like that because it does look good and any sport any competition has the built-in drama to it but yeah this this could have been indycar could have been formula one even if it, just to get that racing vibe and feel to it at a track kind of thing that uh, i want to see uh, a movie that has racing as the actual plot that all of the characters of the turn on racing the the story has to be about it uh, and and utilizing racing to solve the problem resolve the conflict i can already hear some people screaming into their uh, headphones that's going to be the Cars 3 episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> that will course. be whenever we eventually get to uh, the Pixar series. That that epi- that movie, I think, fits that bill. But this one doesn't. So uh, this is where we are going to start to branch off into maybe mild spoilers. The spoilers will get heavier as we go because we're going to talk about the plot a little bit uh, beyond just the NASCAR sections. Because, again, can't iterate this enough. NASCAR is very much in the movie. It looks cool. A lot of great cameos. It's fun to watch as a NASCAR fan. Oh, there's Mike Joy. There's Daryl Waltrip. There's Ryan Blaney. But it's not a NASCAR movie. It's still an interesting movie, and that's what we're going to get to next. So the plot, Josh, this is a heist movie uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, who I know is famous for the Oceans movie. He's done heist films before. He's kind of taken that and put a different spin on it. Now it's, it's a very southern spin. It's a little more... I would say grounded in that respect. When I think of a big heist film, I think of some big international spy thriller or Robin, the Empire State Building or a museum in Paris. You know, this is not that. This is a, a bunch of folks who live in small town, West Virginia, North Carolina, who are going to rob a NASCAR track during the biggest race of the season. So uh, that's where this movie really takes off. The, the I want to ask you this, Josh. The motivation behind... Channing Tatum's character, Jimmy Logan, deciding he wants to rob a racetrack. To me, it didn't land. It didn't land for me. I don't know if it landed for you, um, but uh, that's kind of what sets this whole thing off. He gets laid off from his job because he has a a bum leg. He got hurt somewhere. It's a medical liability that he didn't disclose before he took the job, so they have to let him go. His ex-wife informs him that she's moving with their daughter, so uh, he's maybe not going to get to see his daughter as much. He threatens that he's going to hire a lawyer and, and take this to court. So it's clear he needs money, but uh, this is a spoiler. This is a big spoiler. At the end of the movie, we see that both of those issues have been solved without the help of the money that he may have robbed from Charlotte Motor Speedway. So, I don't know. Talk to me, Josh. Where do you feel this movie... Do you think that the insti- inciting incident in this movie lands for you? I, the, the, I, have, I have two pieces to this, one of which is going to involve huge spoilers. So, so, so let's talk about the other thing first. Uh, there's an element to that where I don't think the movie cares uh, because I feel like you're absolutely right. Uh, the motivation is super weak. Uh, like it doesn't, it makes no sense um, that this guy even like the, the plot is so complicated. And I mean, the heist plot, the plan for the heist is so complicated with so many, doesn't make sense that they even 
were able to do all of this. I don't think the movie cares. The other example of this would be the prison riot, where so much of that plan relies on people shrugging their shoulders. Like, how did he know that the the warden wouldn't call in the fire department, or, you know, things like that. Like, how did anybody know this stuff? I don't think the point of the movie, like when you say grounded, I totally agree. There's nobody like backflipping over laser alarms and, you know, things like that in this movie. Um, it is grounded, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily take it so much as realistic as I, I think the, the major, the, the keystone here is at the end when they're talking about the, you know, they call it Ocean 7-Eleven mm -hmm. and the locals talk about them like they're some kind of heroes. Um, I would put it in sort of a, this is a legend. This is, these are legendary guys. And so uh, the, the reasons they did it aren't so important. How things actually worked out that way are less important then it's that they the, happened it's that they happened and and why they happened you know what they mean to the people uh the spoiler end of this is uh, where and this is a little bit of a disagreement even with the first thing i said the spoiler part is it doesn't really end out okay where everything's fine they they get the money they solve their problems because you have the hillary swank character and here we'll, we'll get to it when we talk about steven uh soderbergh the guy doesn't know how to end the movie so even there where where the plot is resolved uh and, and their the character's problems are resolved the movie's still not over. The story is not over. The story con will continue to keep going long past the movie and not in a way where it's like, you decide what you think happened. No, it's very clear what's going to happen. There's more movie that's meant to play out because they set up this whole thing about the luck of the the Logans. It's called Logan Lucky. There's all the characters talk about this Logan curse where something really bad happens to the Logans every time they get start things start to get good when the guy becomes the the football star in high school that's when he gets injured uh you know the other brother comes home from Iraq but he's hit with an ID on his way to the airport to fly home from Iraq uh you know they and so just when you think everything is resolved and and good no, there's still the FBI right there, totally onto them, uh, you know, all of this. So there, there's the rest of the movie meant to play out that we never get to see because it's directed by Steven Soderbergh, uh, that we don't get to see that part. But I feel like we have all the information there that it didn't get solved, that they're about to get that Logan curse again. Yeah, let's. I want to run through the plot basically. At this point, uh, we are spoiling the movie, but I imagine most people listening this far have probably seen the movie. Um, but uh, this movie stars Channing Tatum as Jimmy Logan. Adam Driver uh, is his brother Clyde Logan. And at the beginning of this movie, we see Jimmy again lose his job as a construction worker. He's working at Charlotte Motor Speedway, helping them uh, work out sinkholes. Uh, so he gets fired for that uh, injury. Um, then he finds out that his ex-wife is going to move with their daughter and so he won't be able to see her even though it's clear that he and his daughter who's very young she's 
I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old. I'm terrible at guessing kids' ages. Um, she's very young, but they have a great relationship, so he's sad to see her go, that that may be now strained. So he decides he wants to rob a bank. And he and his brother Clyde, who, as you mentioned, served in, Af- uh, in Iraq, uh, lost his arm. So he is he has one arm. He has like a prosthetic or a, a plasty is a fake hand or lower forearm. It's one of the jokes in the film is that, oh, I didn't lose my whole arm. I just lost my hand in the lower forearm area. But, you know, he's he's got a fake hand. He's able to convince his brother to help him rob the Speedway. They have, I guess, a history of funny business that have gotten them into trouble in the past. They go to prison to recruit Daniel Craig's character, Joe Bang, who is a demolitions expert. He's They get him on board. They get Joe Bang's two brothers on board by appealing to their sense of morality, <laughs> another kind of offbeat, interesting scene. Uh, but there you have your main set of five, plus the Logan's sister uh, is also kind of an accomplice in this whole thing, helps piece the whole puzzle together. You have your, your group there. The heist begins, and... It's complicated, not going to go through every little uh, pin that has to drop, everything that goes their way, how they're able to make it work. But it is very complex, but I'd say, for the most part, believable. It's the kind of movie that when you're watching it as a viewer, you feel kind of smart when you see a kind of random scene from 20 minutes ago pay off in the present. You're like, oh, now I understand why they did that first thing. Even though, kind of like you said with the prison scene, there's a lot of things that have to kind of circumstantially go their way but they're able to succeed they they steal uh, money from the track but then jimmy logan leaves a bunch of bags of money in a truck abandoned at a gas station so all over the news they, they recover the money all over the news wow the robbers didn't go through with it they didn't they didn't keep the money uh it's obviously revealed at the end that oh no jimmy did stash some of the money and was able to pay off all the people who helped them uh execute this plan but uh in a high level sense that is the basic plot again it may sound like an action-packed thrilling heist movie it's not that that's what i thought it was when i first saw it a few years ago this is a an offbeat part comedy part drama uh it's it's built and structured like an auteur film like soderbergh's got his fingerprints all over this thing I, I, from what i read that's unclear he may have even written the movie helped pretty like it's unclear how much involvement he really had but it's clear he had a ton it was either 100 percent or 90 percent, and that's certainly how it feels um, but you know, focusing in on certain plot elements, Josh, did were there any things that you found too unbelievable, like the the prison fire scene? I there was that. There's there. Uh, it's a lot of those little things where you know uh, how how exactly in your plan did you count on the concession stand people's reaction times to the credit and and reaction to the credit card machines going down and all of this stuff. I accept that they would have the knowledge, you know, he's a construction worker. We mm-hmm. see him stealing the plans. He would know like where this pipe goes. They knew to take how to take down the credit card machines. I'll, I'll buy all of that stuff. It's really when it comes, there are so many times when a character just has to decide to be really bad at their job or decide to, uh, do this instead of that, where the entire plan could have come down if somebody turned left instead of turned right, or or mm-hmm. uh, you know all of this guy, if, if everything could have gone wrong a hundred times 
based on things that they had no control over, but somehow planned for, like when the people are turning a blind eye or, you know, being bad at their job or whatever, lackadaisical, how did you know that? How did they, it's framed as this is all part of the plan. This is everything working out great. How did you know all of that stuff? I think there's a lot of that. At, at the same time, I do appreciate uh, that everything was so care. What was set up was so carefully set up of you see them buying all this stuff, stealing the plans, uh, putting it all together. Um, it does have a little bit of um, where it's, it's not a mystery. It's like the movie just doesn't tell you things and doesn't show you things. And so when it's revealed that it does, it's like, oh, I mean, that's interesting. That's a surprise. Wow, I, I didn't know they did that. But that's just because you didn't give us any clues or any hint about it. A good example is when the sisters in the living room, like with roaches, putting roaches into jar, cockroaches into jars. And you're like, yes. why is she, is this, what is, why is this just common uh, behavior? What is happening here? And then a few scenes later, you see them using the roaches, putting them into the pipes to get them to go into the vault and eat a cake. Why, how do they know the cake was gonna be left locked in the vault exactly you know definitely a lot of things played out that you couldn't have um accounted for you know there's no way to form an airtight plan but but everything went their way but but like you said everything that was set up even though sometimes those scenes felt a bit random at least they were paid off even if it yeah. felt kind of random how they were paid off or very circumstantial at least there was a payoff everything will be explained uh, by the time you get to the end which is not really the end uh, everything will be explained, but they do stretch uh, yeah. plausibility in terms of, uh, you know, the bank vault is such a perfect example of how did they possibly have all of that information that the the lady that runs the, the bank vault, how did they know that much about her? Uh, <laughs> you know, the, they had to know unique personal details about her personality such that you could anticipate her decision make it like it just beggars belief. But, uh, you know, it is all paid off. You will figure out why, what are the roaches about? What is this whole cake thing? Why did we even meet the nurse, uh, the tetanus shot and all of that? Yeah. Uh, why is the guy smoking uh, in the, during his break? You will figure all that stuff out. Yeah, it all gets paid off at some point or another. Uh, I do want to talk about the performances. Obviously, this is a star-studded cast. We'll get to that in a second. But actually, before we talk about that, because because you kind of touched on it a second there, this movie takes place in the South. I know we talk about how it could have been anything. It didn't have to be a NASCAR race. But the fact that it was a NASCAR race um, lends itself, you know, it causes the movie to focus heavily on Southern culture. And I know in Hollywood, I feel like Hollywood has kind of a maybe a bad habit historically of uh, either omitting, you know, films that are, you know, that that focus on, you know, kind of rural areas, southern culture, or if they do focus on it, they rely very heavily on stereotypes and clichés to kind of tell that story. This movie does some of that. Like it hits all the expected 
beats. When you think of the South, you think of America. This movie takes place on Memorial Day. Clyde's a military veteran. You know, this movie has a scene at a county fair. They have them racing tractors at one point. There's a little kid's beauty pageant that Jimmy's daughter participates in and wins at the very end. NASCAR, obviously, very Southern. You know, he works as a construction worker, a true, like the most cliche blue collar job you can have. The, the, one of the final kind of glamorous moments of the film is the entire town singing Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver. Spoiler, this movie takes place in West Virginia. Like it couldn't be any more on the nose with some of its depictions of Southern um, culture. But one thing, and this is what this is what made me think of this as you're talking about all the things that go right in their plan. The one thing this movie I think does do well that some other Hollywood movies about the South don't is that it gives Southern people their credit. Like, like I said earlier, we think of heist being only big city, international super spy stuff, but this movie tells you that, hey, even your unassuming, you know, bartender, construction worker from from West Virginia can pull off a very clever, a very complex, full-on heist as well and be successful doing it. Like they think of details, every um no stone is left unturned and to me, I think that that actually is sort of a change of pace. I didn't expect them to give um, kind of this culture that kind of credit. Yeah, and you know that the big tell for me, uh, and Soderbergh grew up in the South. Um, I, I think Georgia mm-hmm. um, is where he's actually from, but still very much the South, right? Uh, uh, so I, I feel like the big tell in anything of whether or not it gives respect is if it makes them stupid. Right. And they talk slow. They aren't as sophisticated because, uh, no, if you live in the South, you don't go to the theater. uh, You don't go Mm -hmm. to see the opera. You go fishing, you go hunting, you do stuff outdoors and and things like that. So they don't they haven't read as many books or know as many things. But that cannot be misinterpreted as they're stupid. And what I really like about this movie is they don't even it's not even that they're they're clever right like we've seen the clever southerner that's Smokey and the bandit uh you know that's every kenny rogers movie ever right we know they're clever what it is is they're they all have an expertise right there's yeah there's the computer expert there's daniel craig as ridiculous as he is (laughs) he's also a chemist and an explosives expert and you know uh this intricate plan where uh, Channing Tatum has to to memorize all these plans and understand the layout and the blueprints and all these things. They are not stupid. Uh, they all, if they know something, they know the hell out of it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that was the big tell that they, as ridiculous as they made them, and, and it was very over the top, uh, as you pointed out with the, the guy and his line about the Twitters and things, very yeah. over the top, very ridiculous, but they're not idiots they're not stupid they are all highly skilled and and highly sophisticated at what it is that they do yeah and i just i think the way the plan comes together it fully demonstrates that every major character gets the chance to show off their expertise like you said so i I just wanted to note that before we get into some of these over-the-top performances that while some of it was cheesy some of it was maybe tongue-in-cheek Ultimately, I do think this movie paid solid respect to um, the the people or the region it was covering. It gave them their credit. That's the way I would phrase it. It gave them their it, it gave them their due. Um, on that note, we do have to talk about the performances. We got to start with Daniel Craig. You just mentioned it. He's 
when I first saw this movie a few years ago, I, I thought his performance was terrible. I, I just couldn't take the accent seriously. He's British, right? Isn't he British or is he American? Yeah, he's absolutely British. And, and his accent, I would say, is the best fake Southern accent in the entire movie. Yes, and, and, I, and I, I didn't really, I don't know, I feel like it slips occasionally, but overall it's much better the second watch than I feel like it was the first watch. Maybe it's because I'd just seen him in, in 007, James Bond, and I just could not link those two together. But no, he was the most captivating um, performance, I think, of this race. Over the top, for sure, but the name of the guy, his character name is Joe Bang. Uh, probably not his God-given name, not his birth name, but I, yeah. it is. It is. Oh, is it? Because if you look at the credits of the movie, the two his two brothers, their last name is Bang. <laughs> it's Fish Bang and Sam Bang. I totally when he's giving his little origin story in the movie, uh, you know about like I like to call it Joe Bang. He's an explosive expert whose name is Bang. You totally get the idea, but no. If you look at the credits, they're all they're from the Bang family. Yeah, well, okay, that's that's remarkable. He he was great. I don't know what. So you you liked his performance. You thought it was good. Totally, I I loved the accent. I thought uh, he did. You know, part of the southern authenticity, I think, too, is the style of humor in this felt very vaudeville. Um, felt very, uh, you know, the, gosh, I, I feel like this could be interpreted as an insult. I'm not, I don't mean it that way, but could be very hee-haw, um, very um, just sort of, uh, the, the thing I think about is when he's building the bomb and then he throws it in the tube with, and the other two brothers are standing there and he runs away. He doesn't say anything. And the other two guys just notice he ran away and then they run. This is, of course, describing the joke makes it not funny, but in the movie, <laughs> it's a very funny scene. It's a, that yeah. felt very Southern comedy. And I think he hit that where he's not, he, he is ridiculous and over the top. But he still feels like he, he uh, we all know that guy. Yeah. We all know somebody like that, um, that, that it, it felt very, not just a good accent, but he felt like a real character that, that could exist in, in a Southern piece of media. And again, Soderbergh, you know, he, he is all over this movie, did grow up in the South. He's not some, you know, erudite, uh, intellectual uh, kind of Hollywood creation. He, it, it's, it's real for him too, uh, but Daniel Craig just really, really owns it. He's got the nasal, uh, and, and actually, you know, British people have the easiest time, I think, with Southern accents in that those two accents are very related. If you ever heard like Shakespeare in the original accent kind of thing, it sounds very much like a Southern accent. Um, a South African accent sounds very similar to a Southern accent, right? Uh, British people are closer to a Southern accent than it might seem, but he crushes it. He nails it. Yeah, I, I liked him. Like I said, I appreciate when an actor or actress has immense like stage presence or screen presence where like when they're on screen whether whether it's good or bad i can't take my eyes off them that's absolutely to me that's a that's always going to be a compliment and i would say especially the second watch um i felt that way about daniel craig's character and i don't i've i've seen like one james bond movie that's literally um the one i think was he in that um knives out movie wasn't that him as the main uh that was yes i've seen him in that and i he was okay. I think he's fine, you know. But I haven't seen him play many just like straight comedy 
roles before. And so I don't know if that's, I don't know how familiar you are with his career, if this is something he's done before routinely, but it felt like it was out of his comfort zone and he was really having fun with it. No, I, I at the time, I think this was billed. In fact, um, the the movie poster has a cheeky little and introducing Daniel Craig um, in oh, the yeah. credits because this is so far removed from what he is good point typically cast as uh and i remember at the time that was a big thing about this performance is it is so far out of line with anything um the roughly equivalent to uh you know tom cruise and tropic thunder although i think there's a lot more decades behind that joke but um so roughly same thing in that part of the the enjoyment you'll get out of it is seeing uh, James Bond act this way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. Because this was before Knives Out even. So he was fresh off of, I don't know which James Bond, Skyfall maybe, I don't know. Um, certainly a change of pace, but but a welcome one. I agree, he was he was fun to watch. I, I want to pivot now to, from kind of the most outlandish character to one of the more subdued characters. Still a character, without question, but Adam Driver um, as Clyde Logan, the kind of slower brother of the two, it seems, the one who's missing an arm, of course. Um, what do you make of his performance? I thought, you know, he has a real thick, kind of speak slow, very Southern accent as well, that again, I feel like slips here and there, but overall isn't too bad. Um, I just love his ability to deliver, I think, unintentionally funny lines. Well, probably intentional, the actor knows what he's doing, but like the character feels real enough that in the world of the story, it feels like the guy who's not trying to be funny but is, like when he gets his arm sucked off through the little vacuum thing into the big tank, he just kind of pauses, looks, you suck my arm off. You know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's funny. I, I don't know, he, he gets a laugh out of me every now and then. What do you think of Adam Driver's performance? Uh, very good performance. Adam Driver is a one hell of an actor, um, absolutely can just incredible range. He he does a great job. What bothered me about his performance is the accent is really good. It does slip here and there, but it's pretty good. What bothers me about it is he shouldn't really have that accent. Either that or so should Channing Tatum and uh, Riley Keough. They should yeah. all have, doesn't make sense that they're this tight knit family, all best friends with each other, and they all have three different Southern accents. <laughs> um, and it, his feels particularly anachronistic in that whatever age he's supposed to be, late, very late 20s, early 30s, uh, He's not old enough to really talk like that unless he's just way out in the boonies like no, but the guy did two tours in Iraq, right? Like yeah. uh, he's not he's not a hayseed by any stretch. Uh, and so it, it doesn't really from that. But again, I feel like that's nitpicking because uh, you will love this character. He is uh, uh, another I feel like there's so many characters like this in the movie, but he is one of them where when he's on screen, you're having fun. You're yeah, enjoying it. I agree. And it's weird because I've, I've only seen um, Adam Driver in three things. I've seen him as Kylo Ren in Star Wars. I saw him do a thick Italian accent for two and a half hours in a House of Gucci a few like last year. And now here he is. And I know this movie came out before last year. But now here he is doing a deep south, slow um accent he he's the accent guy i guess and and they all sound just a little 
I don't know. It all sounds like Kylo Ren trying to do do a voice to me just a little bit, but uh, no, he was fantastic. Again, great screen presence, hard to take your eyes off of him. Uh, and then let's talk about Channing Tatum real quick because he was the most grounded character, the least outlandish. He felt like um, the audience, who the audience is supposed to root for the most, who the audience should relate to the most. He's got a little bit of a Southern accent. It sounds authentic. It sounds real. Um, he's the blue-collar construction worker who's just wanting to spend more time with his daughter and and make a better life for them. Like He's an easily relatable character, and I thought the performance was was fine. See, I'm used to seeing... Channing Tatum was in, and I didn't see the movie, but I've seen clips. He was in Magic Mike, and I just think it is wild to think of the way he looked, the way he was in that role, and compare this. This is only a few years after, I believe, Magic Mike, maybe just a couple years after the second or third one, however many of those they made, and he feels like a completely different person. So I, I, you got to respect an actor who's able to, to do something like that. Yeah, I do. I, I did not care so much for his performance. I don't think his Southern accent... Uh, it was decent at times, but I think he's got some weaknesses as an actor and accents are one of them in that he, he does a thing where with a fake accent where the accent is on every single word, every mm -hmm. single syllable that you say has the accent. And that's not really how accents work. Uh, and I think the best example of somebody that had a, re a perfect, obvious, real Southern accent is the daughter. Yeah. Because she would sounded very like just not very accented until she'd say like daddy. <laughs> like okay, bam, that's how a southern accent works. Is it's on certain words, certain syllables, certain sounds. Uh and he very much had the like every word is like a cowboy. Like uh, it does it, little, it, yeah. Like that cartoony, but every single word and sound he made was trying to have a Southern accent. And that's didn't feel right. Like I could just, he of out of everybody. And there are some bad Katie Holmes, not great uh, Southern accent either, but he out of everybody, I kept hearing a person doing a fake Southern accent. Whereas most every other character, uh, I, I didn't really feel this is a fake actor. Well, well, except for Seth MacFarlane, who was, who was in the wrong movie, but yeah. <laughs> out of everybody i think he he and i don't mean to insult his talent i think he's an amazing actor really good movie star in the sort of classic arnold schwarzenegger sense of the word movie star um but not a uh, on that note not a great actor uh in terms of becoming a different character arnold schwarzenegger is never going to be in a movie where you're like, oh, wow, I, I completely forgot. I was looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Channing Tatum has that same too much star power to where I, I have a hard time believing he's anybody other than Channing Tatum. I, I, I'll disagree a little bit because I, the little bit I have seen of Channing Tatum, I'm used to him being that chiseled kind of either action star. You know, I'm used to a slightly different persona being played, a, a very different persona being played than what's being played here. Uh, I didn't pick up on the accent quite as much. I'm sure it slipped a little bit here and there. I, I just appreciate it. You know, this isn't a mainstream movie. This, I don't think this movie was really truly intended for mainstream audiences, but between the outlandish Joe Bang and you know Clyde with his one arm and slow slow way of talking, Channing Tatum's character was sort of that that kind of more subdued character that I think a general viewer needs to you know not get not feel like they're watching a Saturday morning cartoon. So while he didn't have the most 
impressive accent or voice or performance. I thought he was at least reserved. He played the straight man, the more believable character in this universe of otherwise largely unbelievable characters. So I, I at least thought he had a good place. I thought his performance worked for this movie, even though it's not, it's never won. Like if this movie, I don't think it won any major awards, if any, but if anyone's going to win an award for this, it would be Daniel Craig for really going out on a limb. No way Channing Tatum's getting recognition for this role, even though I think it actually fit the movie and fit alongside the other performances pretty well. But um, that's just my no, take. No, and I think that's a really good point that uh, he is he is the character that you latch onto the most. As much as I dog backs, and he is in a in a world of colorful characters, he is the one that you can most closely follow and and see him as a real person, as opposed to. Uh, uh, Joe Bang feels real, but like you wouldn't buy that that's a a real person that exists. Nobody's going to call themselves Joe Bang like that, you know, like uh, uh, whereas Channing Tatum, his performance even does have that like, I'm just a regular guy in this sea of characters. And sometimes I feel like that regular guy is hard to play, which is why I want to give him some props for that. But uh, I want to at least highlight a couple other characters. Feel free to jump in if you have other that we don't miss or that we've missed. But we've talked about a lot of performances that we've mostly liked uh, up to this point. I think these two are going to be more polarizing. Seth MacFarlane. I when I first watched this, I didn't realize that was Seth MacFarlane. I'm not a big Family Guy person, but like this time watching it, I was like, oh, that's Seth MacFarlane. I don't know. I picked up on it this time. I know he's supposed to play like this asshole sponsor. But oh my God, like you said, he's not in the same movie. Like it's that is the least believable character. There are elements of believability. Look, like there are some wacky sponsors out there. There's some people like big business people who are very arrogant, very full of stuff. I, I I expect you all to you know do my becking call, you know. But this guy, he like a lot of people. I feel like Seth MacFarlane is either really popular or really hated by just movie and TV fans. I've always been kind of in the middle somewhere. I think I hate him after, after this performance. I think I do. I wanted to punch him in the face. Maybe that means he did a good job, but I, ah, what'd you think? I hated Seth MacFarlane <laughs> in this movie. He, the, both him and to, to a great extent, um, the winter soldier, uh, oh, yeah, Se- Sebastian or, stands in this, isn't he? Sebastian right? Stan, uh, what a cast. They, both of them feel like they're from Talladega Nights and yeah. not from a real NASCAR movie. Yes, there are. I would believe if this was a Formula One movie, I would more believe that there's a sponsor like that. Yes, sponsors are big characters and big personalities, uh, very type A, but not like that. This guy is a cartoon. He's dressed like like uh weird owl dressing like michael jackson uh <laughs> i love that he's wearing pretty... a fire suit with his like he's wearing the fire suit too to go to the race even though he's not racing obviously he's just the sponsor yeah he's like he's ridiculous he's got like an austin powers accent yeah. like he's not a british person and, and it's so funny that that you've got all of the this really good accent work going on, and then that so yeah, like gro- it was just grown up Stewie is what it sounded like. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> just, it's grating, and he feels like he doesn't belong in this movie, and it's almost like I, I would actually put a lot of it on his performance because when he's in the bar, when he's first introduced, his I don't think the script thinks he's as over the top 
as he is, uh, as cartoony. Uh, you know, when he's interviewed by the FBI later, I don't, the script doesn't think he's like, the, the script did not anticipate a family guy character. Or again, I, I feel like he's out of Talladega Nights. And the the driver as well, like the driver, I didn't don't think felt like a real, like, I, that's a that's a funny way to satirize a professional athlete and maybe even satirize uh you know formula one drivers i would buy that they're they're that kind of like mm -hmm. you know i have to feed my os with software and like <laughs> i think you could get away with some formula one stuff that is not nascar you're not going to convince me that martin truex jr talks about his software mm -hmm. and his os like that i don't that they felt like they were in the wrong movie it, it felt like if saturday night live was spoofing yeah formula one whereas if saturday night live was going to spoof nascar it would be will ferrell's character from talladega nights you know like so it, it's wrong movie and the wrong sport so it, they just it it Honestly, yeah, any scene that Seth MacFarlane or, for that matter, uh, the driver were in um, I, I took me out of the moment. Like, it, I lost all immersion. Luckily, they're not in it a ton. There is the one kind of, you know, convenient scene where they're going through a tunnel at the same time uh, Clyde is going through a tunnel to leave the racetrack. Like, in the story, in the movie, Clyde, uh, not Clyde, sorry, the driver, Sebastian Stan's character, Rex, and gets out of his car and immediately it's just him and his sponsor arguing like in a tunnel like it's like he didn't go to the infield care center maybe he did but it's like he's just suddenly like leaving the track he like just got out of his car and left and with his sponsor it's a weird setting either way anytime those two characters were on screen i just i lost all believability if, if you're telling me like daniel craig's performance that's not by far the like not the least believable performance in this film. I, I think that means you've gone too far, and Seth MacFarlane um, did, uh, I think, in my opinion. I also want to talk about Hilary Swank uh, playing one of the FBI agents. She only yes. comes in. She really only comes in the final like twenty minutes of the movie. But boy, does she leave an impression! Like I know in the last episode, I made fun of uh, Bob Linsky's voice. He talked how he talked like like a Batman villain. I'm gonna say the same thing about Hilary Swank. She talks like a cartoon villain where. The whole time she's talking about this. What? Where? Where were you yesterday? Were you? Were you at the track? Like it's 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 off putting and it's unsettling. Like she's staring daggers. She doesn't blink. I'm not familiar with her acting. I, I have no idea if she's normally this into her characters. But it sounded like something again I would hear in a cartoon and did not belong alongside the the rest of this movie. Yeah, I I feel like. This she is doing this sort of like nineteen uh, fifties G man kind of like just the facts. I want to I want to get to the bottom of this, uh, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't make sense. Like uh, when she's talking to uh, the the sort of fake president of Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, in that baller racetrack office. By the way, you get some nice shots of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's talking to him and. He's in a complete, they're in two different movies. Like he's being a normal person and talking about, oh, the insurance payment for the robbery and all of that. And she's doing this like cartoon McGruff the dog, detective, hard boiled. She's, she's playing bad cop. It's like the Lego movie when Liam Neeson plays, a good, <laughs> like he plays the bad cop and he's talking like this. That's what she's doing the whole time. But it's not a, she's not a Lego minifigure. She's a human. She's a real flesh and bone person it just doesn't it just doesn't work yeah it, it's like i i feel like she she's in the same camp as seth MacFarlane, and that i feel like the script didn't really call for that 
but since everybody's doing something fun in this movie, it's like they had to come <laughs> up with it on the day of like, just do something cool with your character, make him over the top or something. What's your funny and, voice going to be? Yeah. <laughs> what's your funny voice going to be? I feel like that's, that's written at the top of the script. Okay. What's your funny voice going to be uh, for this? And she, it doesn't make sense uh, that she's like that. And it's, and, and I would get, I would say you could get away with it not making sense if it was funny. Uh, like a lot of the Joe Bang stuff doesn't really make a sense if you really start parsing it. Like the really the whole family's name is Bang and he's an explosives guy. But uh, it's so funny and, and you're so into this character. The performance is so charismatic that you don't care. You super care when it comes to Seth MacFarlane and... Uh, uh, the the FBI agent performance is just doesn't belong in this movie. Doesn't belong in the movie. Yeah, the only other few characters of serious note, um, Joe Bang's two brothers, uh, also they're fine, kind of over the top. I, like you mentioned earlier, I, I didn't love the you know all the twitters. I know them line like a little I, that line hurts, a little too that cheesy, physically hurts. And that one was in the trailer. I remember when I saw it too, and that one was that almost turned me off the movie. That's why I didn't see it in theaters the first time around. Probably was that line alone. Um, but they were fine, and I thought uh, Melly, the sister, uh, also good. Um, I didn't catch what was the name. Of, who who played her? Riley Keough. Riley and the Keough. only thing I know about her is she's uh, she's a Dynasty actress. She's got um, she's the Elvis Presley is her family. Oh. Um, she's like his granddaughter, great granddaughter, something Wait, really? like that. Well, that's yeah, random. Well, cool. Uh, she was good, uh, and 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 I actually really uh, props to the to the young girl who played um, Sadie, the daughter. Um, yes, you mentioned she was she was solid. Everybody is really except for the I would say really except for the two we pointed out, Seth MacFarlane and uh, Hillary Swank. Everybody I think has really good performances. If you're looking at the cast list and you like any of these people except for Seth MacFarlane and Hillary Swank, you should watch this movie. You're gonna see them do some work. I think that is a big selling point uh, for this movie, actually. Yeah, is getting to see the Adam Drivers and the Daniel Craigs, et cetera, put on characters. That I think that is a, a real selling point of this movie. But but kind of to start to wrap things up, get towards our conclusion, our final verdict, why did this movie fail? Like, you have a popular director, or a well-known, I would say, a well-respected director attached. You have a very well-respected cast of characters, yet I don't think anyone would consider this movie a financial success by any means. So I'll start with you, Josh. What is your theory as to why this movie was not a commercial success? My theory is very simple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This movie came out summer of 2017. That was a big summer alongside movies such as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That was good. Spider-Man Homecoming. Solid. Wonder Woman. Surprise. Cars 3. Love it. Pirates of the Caribbean. This movie had no shot. Not a (laughs) chance in hell was this movie going to be a success that summer. I think it's that sort of uh, counter-programming where uh, Hollywood put it out thinking like, oh, if you don't want to see this tentpole blockbuster, mm. there's a movie out there for you, which is a is a, a very common strategy all the time. However, this movie isn't that. This movie is not uh, a, a smart adult drama. This movie is just as uh, bland and mushy as anything Hollywood is putting out in that 
you're not going to think anything or feel anything. Um, we've both seen this movie before and mostly forgot about it. How do, do people yeah. like us forget about a movie that's got Joey Logano in it, right? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. I, but this movie is that kind of forgettable mush of everything works out. You'll laugh, you'll cry. There's funny bits and, and witty comments and things like that. It just becomes this forgettable mush and and so it it wasn't a differentiator from those other movies it was just the crappiest of them the least spectacular uh fun family flick that came out that summer yeah what you just said there it was the least spectacular and that's why i've said this a couple times now but when i first saw trailers or heard about this movie i'm like a heist movie starring james bond kylo ren uh, the dude from the white house down like like, oh, this is going to be like a big action movie. This is going to be some huge spectacle. NASCAR is the set piece. Wow, this is going to be great. And then when it really wasn't that, it was instead an offbeat comedy slash drama, I just think maybe it was billed wrong. The only advertising I recall seeing for this movie was over NASCAR races and on NASCAR social media because NASCAR was um, heavily, I don't know if, I don't know how invested they were, but they were partnered up. They, they, they were had a rooting interest in seeing this movie succeed. Um, and I just remember NASCAR kind of billing it heavily as a NASCAR movie. They obviously focused on the NASCAR backdrop. And as we've said and already concluded, this is not a NASCAR movie. So... I don't want to call it like false advertising, but at least when I first saw it, it was not quite what I expected. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should have done my research, but the average moviegoer is not going to do their research. They're going to see Kylo Ren and James Bond in the, in the poster. And they're going to say, Oh, and race cars. Hell yeah. This is going to be a wild ride. And it is not a wild ride. It is a very mellow. Um, I keep saying grounded. That may not be the right word. It's just like you said, it's grounded because they're not jumping off skyscrapers. Other than that, it's still a little, a little unbelievable, but not in a grand way the way you know guardians of the galaxy aliens and spaceships fight each other the way that's um a grander scale a little crazier so um yeah i i think your point though about the competition is steep like i'm thinking about all those movies you listed like spider-man and pirates of the caribbean wonder i think i saw all those movies in theaters that summer and i actually saw guardians cars and pirates more than once in theaters that summer, but I did not go see Logan Lucky in theaters. So if I was the target demo, they absolutely missed me with this one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what really strikes me is, and I think of this as like the post Disney style movie where just all movies become the same four quadrant. There's something for mom, there's something for yeah. dad, there's something for the kids. Like uh, this movie shouldn't have, if, it, it didn't have enough of anything that would have differentiated it from uh, these other things. If they had taken just the crazy characters and the humor and made it a satire and sent something up or uh, made a statement or a critique about something, I think it would have worked. If the heist angle had been more on the spectrum between heat and reindeer games, I think this would have been... Uh, a much more memorable movie, uh, it, but it, unfor it's all the movies. It's all the movies. There is uh, there is a, a weepy family drama with Katie Holmes and the daughter and the, and the, the town all coming together to sing Country Roads. And the, <laughs> it's got that in there, too. Uh, like it's it's all the movies put together, which makes them forgettable. They makes them unless you've got something like. 
Guardians of the Galaxy with this incredible spectacle, uh, you know, billion dollar budget kind of thing, or, uh, you know, that kind of, this was never going to compete with those. It needed to be something specific uh, all the way, as opposed to all the, you know, we can break it down into pieces and describe how each one is good, but put all together, it's just mush. Yeah. On that note of a four quadrant movie, it's difficult to make a four quadrant movie and have it be financially successful these days if it's not based off an existing IP. Like all those other movies we keep mentioning are either reboots or sequels of already very popular franchises and or characters. Here, the only recognizable IP is NASCAR and in 2017, NASCAR was kind of on free falling for a couple of years. There, it was in the middle of a small free fall, and uh, I just don't think that would have been enough to carry it. But that's just a common gripe with Hollywood in the modern era. That's nothing new, nothing insightful there. Um, Josh, uh, I think we've covered most of our bases. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I mean we've already shared our thoughts on the movie. But I think we should get into that final verdict portion um, first. If you're a racing fan, should you see this movie? And secondly, just overall. Did you enjoy Logan Lucky? As a racing fan, absolutely. Absolutely, you should see this movie. Um, it is uh, respectful of racing. The racing looks awesome. And you will have fun as a race fan picking out the cameos and, and all of those things. And, uh, you know, both the, the actual NASCAR stuff and the drivers playing different characters. Um, that's a lot of fun as a race fan. Uh, as a movie, it's also a really good movie. Um, it's very funny. I um, I had fun the whole time. It's not at all boring. Um, the The sweet parts are sweet. The funny parts are funny. Uh, all of that sort of stuff. It it succeeds on a lot of different uh, wavelengths and perspectives. It is very much worth seeing as a racing fan and as a movie fan. Wholehearted endorsement. Yeah, I would say it looks beautiful. It, it every small setup has at least a small payoff. So, as an overall movie, it functions well. Performances are memorable. The rest of the movie, the plot itself, is a little forgettable. But I would say it's a good movie. If you're looking for an SNL type comedy, you want that sitcom. You want that Talladega Nights constant outlandish. You want Airplane. This is not it. Again, I keep using. I don't know the better description, but this is an offbeat comedy you're not going to laugh out loud many times you're going to maybe chuckle or a lot of nose laughs which you know that's fine it, I, I think that's good but it's not it is not a comedy 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 it's you gotta you gotta think yourself you gotta think you gotta brace yourself a little bit is what i'm trying to say um, from a racing fan's perspective if you want to see cool racing scenes there's way better movies to watch i would argue the last two that we've seen that had a fraction of this one's budget actually had more interesting racing scenes but this one had the scale it had the names it had the cameos the cameos are really the reason to watch this if you're a racing fan and the, the setting's cool the idea that you know charlotte motor speedway is is the one getting robbed hearing the track name dropped hearing you know jeff gordon's voice over the loudspeaker all those things yeah put a smile on your face everyone loves a good uh cameo they love people love recognizing things in big budget movies and this one certainly has that so uh yes if for some reason you made it this far and you haven't seen this movie yet um i would go check it out if you're a nascar fan and i'd check it out even if you just like you know intriguing you know authored productions this is a very steven soderbergh movie i'm not super familiar with his other uh his other work but this feels like a movie that came from one 
brain who was trying to sort of break the traditional Hollywood structure. He wasn't trying to make a big budget Hollywood production, but he still incorporated many of the elements you would associate with a big budget Hollywood production. Heck, a cast list like Daniel Craig and Adam Driver and uh, Seth MacFarlane, Channing Tatum and Hilary Swank, that sounds like a Marvel movie. That sounds like the, the next Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not. It's it, it's a little little more focused, I think, than that. It's it's the scale is much smaller. But um, there you have it. Final thoughts, Josh, on Logan Lucky. I think this was easily the best movie we've watched so far. It was the biggest budget for sure. Um, had the the most star studded ca- uh, cast, but but I enjoyed it. It was definitely the best one we've seen. Yeah, this absolutely I think goes in that uh, hidden gem category of it is. Uh, if not forgotten, it is irrelevant in NASCAR pop culture. Um, but I think it, I think it deserves a watch from every NASCAR fan, every race fan, um, just because it is such a good watch. It, it's it feels right, um, but it's it's a hidden gem. Uh, do you think it should stay forgotten? Do you think uh, do you think it really belongs on the Mount Rushmore of NASCAR movies alongside Days of Thunder, or where do you think it, it should lie in a just world in terms of NASCAR culture? Certainly not Mount Rushmore. I think those slots should be reserved for movies that whose plot is more centered around the actual racing community. This movie really is not, but it deserves to be watched. It's the kind of movie that I feel like 10, 15 years from now, if Twitter still exists, you'll find NASCAR Twitter tweeting about a oh, throwback to when you know, a young Ryan Blaney delivered a cake in a heist yeah. movie. I think it'll still be talked about for many years to come, but it's never, and I don't think it deserves to be uh, put in the same breath as a Days of Thunder. As cheesy as Days of Thunder may be, that was a racing movie, a NASCAR movie through and through. This was a heist movie, an offbeat comedy disguised as an action-packed racing movie. It's not actually what it was. Well, uh, that's going to do it for episode three of Zoom Lens. Thank you all so much for listening. Very excited to have finally officially launched this podcast publicly. Be sure to go check our uh, check out our last two episodes. Uh, we watched At Any Price. We also watched Trading Paint. Uh, definitely be sure to check those movies out. We encourage you to, to watch the movie before you listen to the show because uh, I think we want to turn this into uh, like movie club where we kind of watch along during the week and then we come together to talk about it and unpack the film at the end of the week that's the plan so thank you all so much for watching this episode josh as always it's great to talk to you great to have you here next week we'll be watching stroker ace from 1983 very excited about this be sure to watch along with us that you can sort of join in our conversation you can buy or rent stroker ace on youtube amazon apple tv should just be i think you rent it for a couple of bucks so hope you guys check it out and hope you're able to join in our next episode of zoom lens